Is it just because I'm eating? There you okay, go. It sounds That's good. Good. All right. It was just because my mouth was full. I can hear that your mouth is very moist. <laughs> I'm eating raw cookie dough, so that would explain why. Oh, okay. Had a very thick texture. Yeah. Let me see if what we need for the podcast. Yes. <laughs> thick textures all around. Please. Sounds funny. Uh, yeah. Very thick. Thick <laughs> textures. Thick with two C's. <laughs> Big Hormone Enneagram. I think today we need to talk about sex. I feel, I feel like that's what's in the air. Oh, I'm so down with that. Yeah. You yeah, guys I'm feeling disgusting. that. Sexual what? instincts. That's what... Mm. <laughs> Did you say you two are disgusting? Yeah. Sexual instincts. <laughs> oh yeah. Some reason they were offended by male bird dances. It was like, what the fuck? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. calling that. I, I don't mean, even know what that is. Well, just birds that. I mean, what? there's there are these incredible bird mating dances that male. Oh, birds like the do. birds who dance for the. Oh. Yeah. 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 And, I mean, just some incredible. And I was just talking about it with fascination and just how strange it is okay. and and uh, and interesting. And, you know, I mean, how much seeming investment the birds had in it and just how I mean, just all the different aspects of it and how vulnerable they were making themselves almost right by just laying out this huge thing and these women came at it like I, I somehow they brought it into the male female competition thing or something it had nothing to do with what i was saying it's weird as shit yeah well it comes from it comes from you know the the standpoint of women don't have a sex drive mm-hmm and it's just misinformed and, and that wrong. they couldn't and that they wouldn't what like wings? sex just for sex Mm. Right. Heaven forbid we Heaven don't forbid. want a heart connection while we're fucking someone. Right. <laughs> God. Yeah. It, Any- uh, that annoyed the crap out of me when I was younger. Girls would be like, don't have sex with them or you're going to get attached. I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> not how it works. They don't know. I'm cold hearted Nancy. Exactly. I can fuck anyone with dead eyes. I don't care. <laughs> oh, man. It would be nice to be sexual ass for like a year. A year. Just to get all the meaningless fucking out of my system. Just get it all out. Just, 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 I can't even, I wish, I just wish. <laughs> like you, you're just pent up. Is that what you're saying? Well, it's like, there's always a cost. I mean, I, I do plenty of meaningless fucking, but it's like, it always comes at a cost. <laughs> I can't, I can't just eat, get in there and not care and not feel somewhat like fucking um, involved in the attached to someone i don't even like yeah i don't even like this person i'm just wow like, you know i'm already in there like what the fuck that's weird 
Yeah, and we're going to talk about that today because I was like, I did not know that was part of the sexual instinct. <laughs> it sucks. <What> part? <laughs> that that sucks. Yeah. Well, it's like you can just be attracted to someone and completely despise them. That, well, that doesn't even compute, but it's, but it's also that that. Well, it, it's not clean. There's no clean break, is what I'm trying to say. Can you, yeah? Okay. Can you say more about it There's though, Mika? No... You've said like before, like if you sleep with somebody like three times, then you're starting to get sort of inner I'm in there yeah yeah um well it's mainly because if I've if I'm attracted to someone enough that I want to have sex with them three times then what eventually starts happening is that um whatever attraction I have with them is incredibly magnified and I've already started idealizing them in in ways that I don't even realize and so the craving has already began. Like now I'm like really craving them. And um, if, it, if it ended at that point, it would be painful. And, and so whenever it does end, painful in the sense that that sense of craving just doesn't go away. Like it's almost like this person has been, has made their way into my system in a way that I need them. Um, and you could say, oh, just go fuck somebody else, you know, just. But it's not like that. Like this person is like their image or their whole persona or existence is crystallized in a way that I can't shake them easily. So I have like it takes me like a month or two to get that shit out of my system, which means, yeah, like I I don't it sucks because I I have friends like my best friend, OG, who who at one point had like four or five partners at the same time. (laughs) <laughs> and I wish I could do that. <laughs> I wish I could do that. I get really I think I've I've done like um maybe two or three at the same time, but it's usually it's usually like um in order for that to work, one person has to be actively putting up a really strong wall where they're not letting me in at all. But usually what happens is I get really hooked on one person. And eventually, which turns into a like slight obsession. And when it ends, it takes me like a month or two to just get it out of my system. And I haven't been able to beat this. I keep thinking that I'm, I can do what normal people can do. <laughs> and I'm always proven wrong every single time, every single time. So it's been like a huge, a huge fucking lesson for me, especially figuring out like what the hell sexual drive it's is. It's interesting in the context of type works. eight too. You know, because you think of eight yeah, yeah. as like a the big prowler, right? That could go from can do a lot of touch and go, but with sexual. I mean, it seems like I can do that, right? Yeah, <laughs> I can. I I do to a certain degree. It's just like I've learned my lesson that <clears throat> I can do that. I can do I can do a one night stand, but if if I go back in there, I'm risking a lot. So that's that's weird because I always thought that the sexual instinct was the best at not creating like that like connection. Huh. Um, wow, that's news well, to me. It's, it's not it's like not the, it's not a connection. connection. <laughs> it's not a connection. I'm confused. <laughs> yes. It's, it's not a connection. It's, it's like uh, a chemical addiction. Yes. There you go. Yes. Drugs. It's an Drugs. addiction. It's a drug. 
Um, so it's not that you're like connected to them in a heart way. It's no. just that like you. Their essence is like getting me high. Okay. Oh, okay. Wow. That's yeah. Before we go further, uh, <laughs> yesterday was Gurdjieff, as we're recording this, yesterday was Gurdjieff's death day. And so um, that's important to remember just from the 70th anniversary of his death from the point of view that we only have this Enneagram thanks to him. And uh, so just wanted to put that out there. Great. Yep. Cool. Can you say more, John, real quick? um, Yeah, about um, sort of the... Well, I don't know what the word, term would be, but the the baton handoff from uh, Gurdjieff to Ichazo. I mean, I know there's nothing direct there, right? But but the symbol being taken up. No, nothing. No. So uh, Gurdjieff had, you know, plenty of students who were very prolific in their own right, and. Uh, the author of In Search of the Miraculous is named Ospensky. And uh, Ospensky and Madame de Salzman founded the Gurdjieff Foundation, which is one of the main, Russ compares them to the Catholic Church of the Gurdjieff work. And um, they have a lot of holdovers from, you know, England and World War II and the kind of time it was established in. But, uh, and they're like, they're very strict. Um, my lineage, or like the group I'm in is in the Bennett tradition, which is a whole other story. But from a student of Aspensky's, there was a guy named Rodney Collins. And uh, he wrote n- numerous books, but one of them is uh, Theory of Celestial Influence. And he combined uh, astrological types with uh, the Enneagram. And uh, he taught in South America, I believe, and uh, some sort of quasi fourth way groups. And I can't remember who his name is, but I think it's like Leo de something. Um, it's sort of, mis- Ichaza was a little indirect about who his teachers were. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm trying to look it up right now, actually. But anyway, uh, he had some teachers and probably Rodney Collins or a, a student of Rodney Collins. And um, Ichaza himself was just like a really well-studied well-read guy who probably had um, a n- numerous teachers and, and numerous people that were actually like probably like intentionally tra- training him you know um, it wasn't just like he was an interested guy like I think he had numerous teachers that were focused on his development and I'm looking up now I think his name is Leo <clears throat> Massacaville however you say it and um it's a little, uh, he was, I guess he was part of the Martin, esoteric orders of Martinism and uh, the Rosicrucians. But anyway, mm-hmm. uh, he probably taught Achazo, and Achazo read a ton of shit and um, was really well versed in like Greek Neoplatonic philosophy and the Enneads by Plotinus and mm-hmm. um, these guys. And so Kabbalah. So I, th- I think he naturally like had all that stuff in his brain and just saw like, oh, they're all kind of the same thing. Hmm. Uh, Have you read the Rodney Collins book or is there one main book? Have you read it? Or I've read parts of the theory of celestial influence and 
it's really dense and uh, it's very interesting and it goes into a lot of topics. So I think that uh, some of the, the uh, body types that Emeka looks at uh, are derived from Rodney Collins, but at least the, the parts I've read, it's like, it's like over 500 pages and it's like super dense stuff. And it's not clearly, the parts I've read have not been clearly applicable to like inner development. They're like theory. So like mm-hmm. he's talking about different worlds and time and like, like the role of time on different scales, like the to- time relative to planets versus human life versus cosmic uh, galaxies and, and, and the, you know, what time is. And uh, so it's very abstract and he's like a really brilliant guy, but really dense. Mm-hmm. John, did you get a chance to see that if you've, ran into that book sexuality and new religious movements that i posted oh no i i, I was like on 10 percent battery running home so that nancy would not die um <laughs> the guy yeah. has a sexy Jeez. book cover though i'm impressed oh yeah it's that's from the uh crowley tarot it's okay strength or lust uh, oh that's a tarot okay interesting titties that yeah that's from the the book of toth from alistair crowley oh okay mm-hmm. very cool yeah. no i never seen this before yeah i figured you'd do there's a chapter on gorgiafon and sex and that's how i found it so. yeah i I've, i found an article recently uh, that, that was summarizing a lot uh and it may be the same thing in the book i haven't checked it out but about gorgiaf and sexuality and it's pretty interesting because um he had a lot of weird sexual things going on we talked about him today because I was, I think I finally wanted to like, all right, let's talk about this dude's instincts, see if we can figure out what his instinctual stacking is. And I think, yeah, I think we, we landed on social sexual just for a couple of reasons. For example, like it's just sort of showing up incidentally in, in his book titles, like yeah. meetings with remarkable men. Right. Um, What's the other one? Advice to something to myself. Beelzebub's tales to his his grandson. To to his grandson. Yeah. Parenting, education. And, and, you know, Beelzebub's tales to his grandson primarily, I mean, it's about a fuck of a lot, but it's about history. It's about Mm -hmm. uh, the pointlessness of war. Mm. And part of that is that he taught, like, he had to move just throughout his whole life. There were just wars, World War One, World War Two, and revolutions and things like this. And so his, a lot of his teaching had to move progressively westward um, as wars were breaking out. And he got shot by stray bullets a couple times and all this kind mm. of shit. <laughs> uh, but I, 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 I was talking to Ilaria about this, about his instinct. And uh, she was like, I think he's social because social sexuals are the biggest whores <laughs> <laughs> there you go he had a lot of uh a lot of kids yeah a lot of kids with uh different women and this kind of stuff yeah i was i think uh david posted a video of of him just a general image it just reminds me of at least my dad like my dad has a has this his um has this thing where he has a big mustache and hats and it's a very there's a certain godfather image that comes along with that distinguished that with gentleman eight where yeah. Yeah. It, yeah just the big hat the big mustache you, you think about hitler and the mustache and the regalia that comes with those big suits um suits big hats mustaches it just gives you like a 
a chieftain type of mm-hmm. status look mm-hmm. to it that right like an important person my dad still has that thing I, whenever we hang out he's always got some kind of hat and impressive suit thing that he's wearing i get the sense that uh that canes were like became oh a yeah Virgif when he was old oh okay because uh, there's some cool pictures of him like looking stylish with a cane and stuff like this and he probably didn't need one you know like he wasn't frail my dad doesn't need a cane either, and he rocks a cane occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very, it's a royal thing that you yeah, do. totally. That's it. <laughs> Which is very social. Yeah. Um, there's a lot yeah. of really interesting, like so, Gurdjieff's views on sex and teachings about sex and be- sexual behavior. Are like, there's not a lot of good, clear sources on it, but it's very interesting. <laughs> what are his views on sex? Um. I know you mentioned the masturbation thing. Yeah, so there's that, the masturbation thing. Don't masturbate because you're stimulating the sex center with the mental center. Um, But uh, I'm trying to recall, like, you know, he was teaching in, like, the early 20th century. And there's a lot of Victorian hangover. And he was mm. he was teaching a large part, especially in Russia, a lot of aristocratic people. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, what's interesting is he talked about celibacy and the role of celibacy. And um, you know that for some people, like fasting, it's necessary for certain periods of time. Uh, some people need to do that, need to fast, or need to be celibate. And some people need to have a lot of sexual activity. Um, and that it was not about, you know, sexuality was, he said, let the sex center have sex and don't have the emotional center have sex or let have the mental center have sex, meaning hmm. don't use sexuality as a way to, um, you know, kind of what we talk about with the sexual instinct in general, like people confusing it with the intimacy instinct it was so, hmm. so messed up on so many levels, uh, because it's this weird conflation of, bodily function and heart center and are just really doing that creates this weird uh shadow with the body that you know gets acted out as as weird sexual abuse and coercion and um you know, people not ha- being on the same page when they enter into a consexual sen- uh, sexual relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, about what sex is and what role it's playing between the two of them. And uh, so it's just rife with a lot of uh, abuse and uh, misunderstanding and confusion. And so that's a big part of it. And, you know, he said that for periods of time in your development, it may be the thing that you need to not have sex. And for other times, it may be that you need to have sex. And so there's no prescriptive thing for everybody and everybody's different. And it's mm-hmm. about knowing your own organism, knowing what your actual needs are, and knowing what is actually right and healthy but he was very clear that um that uh you know you're not supposed to just like find your life partner and only have sex with your life partner Mm. i mean that may happen that may be great but that you know that to grow up one should have healthy sexual relationships to keep the sexual function going you know like to keep it kind of clearing out so to speak he talked about um three shits the three shits yeah (laughs) he was an eight 
And uh, <laughs> he was an eight. He was indeed an eight. <laughs> there's the, the there's the first shit, which is uh, shit. Actually, the shit produced by food. And then there is um, the shit produced by impressions, which is speech hmm. or talking. So we need to, you know, we need to sometimes just talk about things and get things mm-hmm. off our chest and sort hmm. things out verbally. Uh, there's excessive talking. And he was, he talked a lot about that. But uh, there's the need to just d- digest your impressions. And then the other shit is uh, sperm or ejaculation. And it's just to like clear out the pipe, so to speak, whether whether in a male sense or a female sense of that your nervous system needs that kind of clearing things out and clearing out the energy and that to not do so if it's not a pro if to be celibate when it's not appropriate to your personality and your body uh, is just to like create stagnancy within your system. And that gets leaked into other centers. So, like, if you don't, if you're not like having an appropriate discharge uh, to your your sexual energy, then like you know, it can get into your emotional center. The energy leaks into your emotional center, or your physical center, or your mental center. So, I think we talked about this before, but his example of uh, excessive sexual energy leaking into the physical center. Um, he he gave an example of winning Olympic medals, meaning being like overly charged up and doing sort of useless. I, you know what I mean? Useless, like like maybe Olympic medal thing is cool, but it doesn't. It's the th- it's just what it is. What it is, but um, yeah, you know, people that need to like excessively <laughs> push themselves physically or do weird shit like that. Mm-hmm. I I remember uh, and again I don't remember where I I, I tell stories because I you teach and stuff like this so shut me up but uh um i I went to catholic school and like uh we had this lesbian like dean of students and she would like barge into our classroom and we all had uniforms and she would like line up the girls in front of the class and measure their skirt length and it was like she was probably a type one and she was like very like you feel the rage of uh, you know the frustration of the girls aren't doing it right but i had this weird sense that it was like this weird erotic humility <laughs> for sure yeah. and she was getting off on her rage and uh and it, like i didn't i didn't even you know i i was a little i was in high school or middle school or something and so I, the whole sense of lesbianism and all that kind of stuff didn't really i wasn't very clear on but i <laughs> i i it was like this passionate hatred for the length of their skirt because young boys might get erections or something. And it's like blame and blaming the girls for it, you know? And it's like, kids are going to get erections and that's like, that's just life and whatever. Um, so that, you know, that's in like the emotional center, sex energy linking to the emotional center. And then mm. mental center would be just like, um, all kinds of delusions and, 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 weird beliefs and uh you know it kind of, he, he describes sex energy leaking into other centers is characterized by its uh, vehemence and uselessness hmm. so it's 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 useful to see where we are having completely useless 
beliefs or emotional reactions or compulsions that have no that, are, that we think are completely important and necessary but actually are really useless and don't give us anything so hold on so when you like for example with me like say i'm having sex with someone and i'm starting to get really addicted to them and that starts to inspire a bunch of emotions and really strong emotions about this person based on the fact that i am addicted to them so is that would that be an example of the sex center leaking into the emotional center well it's not saying don't form emotional attachments with people you have sex with right i think that's a healthy and natural thing but um like an infatuation well yeah yeah and i think that's that's nature um but i think what he would i don't know what gurdjieff would say but you know there's identification with like the feelings that you're having and letting it cloud and overrun your whole sense of self okay uh and you know and also being aware of like sexual types i mean everybody i think is prone to mistake sexuality and 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 love right and knowing the difference and like i think when when your infatuation meaning your sexual instinct is really hooked on somebody uh part of what you can do is sense the difference in the energy uh, the quality of energy between the heart and the, the sexual instinct because yeah it's this like compulsion and addiction and all, all this kind of stuff but you can actually um learn i think to um hold it in such a way that uh the energy doesn't need to necessarily attach to the object meaning to the person hmm. So I've had experiences where, you know, like, like you might, like I might have like a a crush or an intense attraction and holding it and it's, you know, I'm not saying it works all the time, but holding it with presence and breathing with it and all that kind of stuff. uh, The, the libidinal or psychological energy, I think can be worked with so that it's not so entirely attached to the person. Because I think sometimes people, uh, that we become attracted to are opportunities for us to liberate some new energy in our, our system. And I think that's one of the like functions of the sexual instinct. Uh, but we live in a, in a world where we don't just act on our sexuality freely uh, because of the, you know, for a lot of reasons, but, um, but, and I'm not saying it can't be attached to a person, but there's a way we get compulsive about a person. And when that compulsion is matched by them, it's like, it feels like we're in love and we're pro- and then we find out maybe a month later, Oh, we're not really in love. We just got addicted. Yeah. Um, so it becomes a way of observing the operation of the centers because in love, in real love, there's a certain way that you can be selfless. Whereas in infatuation, you're not selfless. True that. <laughs> infatuation is like i fucking want what i want and you might feel a lot of positivity and a lot of sense of service and stuff like that but it's it and it's fine it's not bad that it's like this but it's just a, it's just different it's a different animal and so when infatuation and love come together i mean that's like passionate love but it's actually love whereas uh we're often bound to mistake the body and the, the reactions the body's going through with sexual or you know instinctual stuff it's the same thing with like when we eat something to feel 
emotionally cared for, mm-hmm. you know, like comfort food or whatever. It's no different. Using sexuality to deal with emotional issues. To deal with emotional issues or just confusing the two centers or um, not having the kind of vocabulary of the function of centers and what they feel like in, in the body and, and in our direct experience. So like, uh, you know, when, when I think an attraction occurs, it's very easy to just become obsessed with the person you're attracted to. And sometimes we have the freedom to do that. And other times we don't have the freedom to do that, whether we're in a relationship with somebody else or it's not going to work or whatever, you know? And I think that there's like, basically what I'm talking about is I think, I think this is Kundalini energy. Um, so I've been struggling with trying to understand Kundalini for a while because a lot of people just turn it into this like vague energy that lives in your spine that, um, if you breathe enough, it starts to get excited and it, it's like a snake in your spine. And, and, um, I get what they're trying to say, but I, I don't feel like it's just some magical spine based physical thing. <laughs> I think what Kundalini is a reference to is libidinal energy, meaning psychological energy. And, mm-hmm. um, I'm not saying it's not in the spine. It, it, I think, I definitely think there's a, a spine based experience of it, but throughout our moment to moment experience, we're attaching, um, psychological energy to different objects. So in self-prez, it's food, it's through the instincts. So it's food, it's uh, our bed or maybe our own bodies, um, things that give ex- self-prez excitation. In sexual, we're doing the same thing with people we're attracted to and the things that we think will bring attraction, like our talents or whatever. And then in social, it's like other people, you know, and, it's, and, uh, and also talents that we think we're going to connect us to other people. And so we're just constantly, our energy is just sort of going out to all these objects and objects and objects. And we spend our day just organizing our attention around whatever's, you know, our attention is passive to whatever's exciting it, right? Like it's, it's like, oh, hot girl or interesting thing or food or whatever. And my state is all enslaved by this. Hmm. It's interesting what you said. And so uh, to reclaim okay. it. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, well, I was just going to say, um, just thinking symbolically, snake going up the spine, starting at the genitalia or somewhere down there. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, that's uh, connecting libidinal, you know, the, the genitalia symbolically, um, you know, libidinal energy going up the spine the spine is up to the brain stem right into the which you know is the filter for the mind right so that there's the libidinal energy that's another way to maybe conceive of this kundalini concept partly well yeah exactly it's like a snake rising a snake is an earthbound reptilian instinctual creature where the shits are and so any kind of like flying serpent motif or archetype is about the spiritualization of an earthy thing Mm -hmm. so when gurdjieff actually in in search of the miraculous uh warns against kundalini uh saying let me pull up the quote because i have it in my 
book draft. Um, but he, he warns that it's a, a force of sleep in people and mm-hmm. a force of delusion. And I think what he's referring to <clears throat> is the way Kundalini it's attached to objects. So here it goes. Kundalini is a force put into men in order to keep them in their present state. If men and men is in human beings could really see their true position and could understand all the horror of it, they would be unable to remain where they are for even one second. They would begin to seek a way out and they would quickly find it because there is a way out. But men often fail to see it simply because they're hypnotized by Kundalini. Kundalini is a force that keeps them in a hypnotic state. To awaken for man means to be dehypnotized. In this lies the chief difficulty and in this also lies the guarantee of its possibility for there is no organic reason for sleep and man can awaken. That, so he that, doesn't say a lot about Kun. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say that ties into, you know, how I conceive of the instincts in my symbolic archetypal modality of where <clears throat> there's a, really the sexual instinct is sort of the while it's the go between for libidinal energy and and it sort of is the is the thing that lights up the circuit board of the instinctual self which would be the thing that Gurdjieff's talking about which lights up uh animates the personality type right is coming from the insecurity let's say of the instincts right which stays alive because of the mm-hmm. of the electricity <clears throat> of that snake and and one thing about snakes in you know mythology and in spirituality and all kinds of contexts is there's there's never you can't ever rest on what a snake is on whether it's good or horrible right it's it's either mm-hmm. it's an amazing thing mm-hmm. about snakes um is that it's death or it's you know transcendent you know conceptual god space spirituality da 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 right it's and and it and and so it's they're always sort of traveling together um in multiple ways and contexts i don't know if that i don't know if i even said anything right then but there you go totally it's it's uh <laughs> it's ambiguous right it it's it it it's serpentine right and it's and it and it's like a serpent in that it goes up down up down you know wriggles right and it's and it doesn't stay the same shape mm-hmm. It's not, it doesn't form into just good or form into just bad. It just keeps, it keeps changing shape. It keeps shedding its skin. It, you know, it keeps, and it just keeps going, 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 snaking, right? And it, and it, it doesn't rest. And, and in a sense, you can, again, mm-hmm. see that lighting up, let's say, being the power source, if you will, you know, again, connecting that to libidinal energy kundalini uh i i don't really know how to separate all the terms very well that's not i'm not yeah anyway <laughs> um but uh, you're a uniter <laughs> not a divider yeah that's <laughs> it that's it <laughs> so but yeah you get where i'm where i'm going so it'll come up 
Totally. Many times. But I, yeah. I, I think, you know, I think what he's speaking to is what you're saying is like the snake, uh, when it's, when we're in automatic just attaches to things, it just bites, you know, it's like, I'm a slave to my instincts and what my instincts are mm-hmm. going for, you know, whatever that is for me individually. But then, <clears throat> um, Gurdjieff has this sort of complicated mythology, uh, that he used because he wanted to, um, find a way of talking about esoteric concepts in a way that had no or very little prior associations with them. So he had these sometimes complicated mythologies and, uh, in Beelzebub's tales, there's this, um, story of how there was a cosmic level mistake like on a higher level and to correct this mistake um part of what happened with the mistake is that there was an imbalance of the distribution and maintenance of energies and this kind of goes back to some of the social instinct thing of Gurdjieff that we're talking about because a major idea of his is called reciprocal maintenance where everything is interdependent Mm -hmm. and um so anyway, there's this cosmic mistake, which is an interesting idea that there's mistakes on mm-hmm. like, quote unquote, divine levels. And uh, to fix the mistake required human beings to, uh, human beings in this scheme are energy transformers. And that's why unlike animals or angels, sort of, um, humans have this potential to grow. It, like a dog doesn't question its identity or a higher being doesn't really have the possibility of not being higher. So humans are this middle ground where they can transform energies. And so their, their uh, metabolism, so to speak, or spiritual metabolism need to be changed. And so there was this organ called uh, the organ Kunda buffer, which was implanted in human beings. And when the balance was corrected or somewhat corrected, the higher beings removed the organ Kunda buffer uh, from human beings, but the habit of the Kunda buffer uh, was passed on through generations, and that's the the result is our current Tower of Babel, you know, dysfunction, asleepness. Uh, but the name Kunda buffer is interesting because you know he used the term buffer to describe the way that we um, literally keep ourselves inwardly fragmented and compartmentalized in our, our self, uh, our inner self, um, you know, many eyes, many selves and keep them separated through delusion and through emotion and reaction. And we keep ourselves in a contradictory state and call that the buffer. So Kunda buffer, Kundalini, I suspect, uh, has something to do with the way that Kundalini or libidinal energy gets attached to instinctual resources, whether those are literal resources, money, food, or people. And so to, to, to uh, a lot of like Sufism, for example, describes this process of killing the Buddha where you're um, loving Allah, for example, but like always discarding the object or the idea or association of Allah, like going deeper and deeper and deeper with no, mm-hmm. nothing that that energy is being attached to. Mm-hmm. And so going back to the energy, to the, what Emeka was asking, there's a way of working with activated instinctual energy where you can get all your instinctual needs met, but without identifying with these things. And as such, liberate 
the energy to be used for our inner life rather than to be dispersed into identification. Well, I mean, hmm. it'd be a Jungian thing to say <clears throat> that you're attracted and wanting to merge with and exchange chemistry with another person because they're a representation of something that needs to be integrated, that ideally would be integrated internally within yourself. Mm. Right. Basic union. That's a good... Yeah, that's a good way to look at it because sometimes it's like, what is it about this person that I'm obsessed about? <laughs> I mean, if you strip it away, strip, look at things directly it's like we had some good sex and that was great and now i'm like trying to figure out how to merge my entire being with this person like what's going what's happening and why is it happening and so it's like there's an there's something about them that represents something for me that i need to acquire um but i mean Who's thinking about that when they're in the middle of it? That's interesting uh, that you say that because I always find uh, myself like instantly obsessed with people who oftentimes are sexual first. And I haven't really figured out if that's the key or if it's something else. Mm. But at least from what I've noticed, it's usually sexual first people. And I'm like, I, I'll give it a few weeks because I know it'll pass. But like instantly, I'm like, I must have you. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm I'm curious about your I'm curious about your experience with your understanding of the sexual drive and how you came to figure out that um your sexual last and like how did you yeah what's been your experience with the sexual instinct as you became to understand it as you began to understand it um over the, the past few years? I still don't understand it fully, uh, to be fair, but um, the times that I've kind of come into contact with, like, like me, myself actually experiencing the sexual instinct, um, it's very physical, um, which the other ones aren't as much for me. Mm. So when we do, like, I've been in a couple of John's workshops, and when we get to the sexual... (laughs) instinct um like practice my entire body starts like shivering and shaking it's like it's Mm, and it's really uncomfortable like i hate it Mm. like even now like i'm kind of like have like electricity or jitters because i just it's so uncomfortable for me and it's not about sex it's just the energy is so like (sighs) so i don't really understand it but that's my experience it's like a full body does it does it feel kind of like like shaky like kind of feeling? Um, yeah, it almost feels like I like drank twenty cups of like coffee. Do you does your body feel a little colder or hot? Like, does your temperature change in a dramatic way? I get hot, yeah. Because like a lot of that sounds very similar to uh, trauma response, and not necessarily saying you're traumatized, but like, uh, and maybe maybe not, but. In terms, like not trauma necessarily, but the the, the activation of the sympathetic nervous system. Mm-hmm. You know, does that make yeah. any sense? Yeah, that that does make sense because uh, it is like a little bit of like a fight or flight kind of 
experience. Mm. Like if something mm. scares you a lot, that's kind of how it is. So yeah, and 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 so a lot of us, uh, that's really interesting. And a lot of us have that kind of we we kind of tamp that energy in or lock it lock it mm-hmm. in and don't let the full like thing go. So if you're feeling it now, like just fucking breathe with it. You can even you know whatever, but like let it let it let it flow as as if it comes up. I think I might have felt that way about social when we were doing that those <laughs> circles. There was a point where I was just like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, same. Why? <laughs> and, and you know, I don't know if we should should we maybe oh, I totally describe got those. <laughs> should we maybe describe what we're even talking about here with what the workshop what you were doing? John? Well, yeah, I'm. John, do you want to describe the the exercise that we all were doing? <clears throat> yeah, y'all go ahead. Okay. Um, it was a, a series of exercise, experiential exercises that uh, we did at this past IEA, John's and Julie's workshop to help you get a sensation of each instinct. So for self-pres, we were standing there and thinking about our warm bed and feeling what that felt like. And so for each instinct, you got to really feel it. And if it was your blind spot, you got to feel it in a very... <laughs> extreme way because you react to it yeah yeah through the body and i felt like i think the thing that was coming up for me during the social was i was like man fuck why are we having to go touch other people why didn't i get to (laughs) dance on somebody during sexual what about that (laughs) this is not fair man i don't want anybody touching me (laughs) yeah i gotta go hug up on this fucking stranger Yeah, the what the exercise was. <laughs> that was what social, was running through my mind. The ex the social exercise part of it was at least an expanding. What was it? We started with two people, and then two people connected with I, another two. Yes, two people, four people, eight people. Yep, eight sixteen. And when it got I think to it the was, bigger, when it got well, to the bigger yeah. circles for me, it was just oh man, I'm I'm social last. I think we need to sometimes say remind people our stackings in, as we're doing this, but I'm social last, and that that's just, true. Oh, was just uh I just wanted to get out. Like, why are we doing this? Let's stop. You know, just no. <laughs> Especially as it get got to yeah. The circle of eight was. I didn't care so much about the bigger group. the The biggest circles kind of felt like just faces in a crowd. It was the circle of eight where it was still mm. very um, intimate in a way because I was barely very aware of everyone in the circle, and so it felt <laughs> like I have seven eyes watching me, and I'm very mm. aware of who these people are and I I don't like any of these people except maybe for one or two people and I'm just I'm feeling them and I can't shake them off whereas when it's like 50 people or whatever it was I can't I I'm really not able to sense or uh, be impacted by any one person in particular it's just sort of this um unspecific crowd energy which is really easy for me to detach from um so I was more uncomfortable with like eight people almost like i had to be un- accountable to them in some sort of way or there was some kind of expectation mm-hmm. of something because everyone gets which is like mm-hmm. yeah it's just like no <laughs> <laughs> well so this is a really interesting thing and it's cool that it's paired with our talk about sexual instinct because um you know 
so there's so much confusion between sexual and social in the Enneagram world. And, uh, you know, I, I am sexual dominant and social blind. And, uh, you know, I think I said this on a, I don't remember where I say things. I repeat. <laughs> I'm going to keep repeating forever. Uh, but people always told me to like get in touch with my social instinct. I needed to, uh, join a club or network, which, you know, would just be horrible <laughs> for me. And, uh, and so I start like, you know, I do a lot of sensation based practice from, from my Gurdjieff work and breath work stuff. And so I started noticing, um, the, the effect people had on my body physically, like just being around them. And I was like, oh shit, this is the way to actually develop a social instinct. It's not to pretend like I like other people, but to, uh, actually notice what are the signals and sensations that. I'm receiving from being around people mm -hmm. that are not based just on if I'm attracted or aroused by their energy. Mm -hmm. And, um, did I tell a story about the girl on the bus? Yes, you did. Okay. Yeah. So that's like, it again. I don't think you told it on the podcast. I, yeah, right, I just tell. all heard you yeah. tell it. Oh, okay. <laughs> tell it on the podcast. So I teach, uh, you know, a lot with Julie Harris and, uh, <laughs> I was going to go meet her for some meeting and, I live in Brooklyn and uh, the L train is horrible. And I was supposed to go on the L train and it turned out it decided to be closed that day. So I'm like at the station, which is not close to my house either. And I'm like thinking like, oh, God damn it. Like I got to get to Greenpoint. And uh, there's this girl and she's cute, but I'm not like into her, but she's just, you know, she's cute and she uh she goes oh, are you looking for the the shuttle bus like instead of the train and i was like yes she's like oh it's over there thank you and so i'm walking very determined to uh the 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 uh shuttle bus stop and um and she keeps talking to me and i'm like <laughs> why is she talking to me then i thought like like i just didn't understand it yeah and, uh, you know, part of the assumption of social blind is that like people just want something and, yep. and, and it's sort of like, why, like, why talk unless there's a distinct purpose to talk it's modular. and, um, it's what modular, modular. like you just, we mean, we're, we're just plugging in this right now and then we're unplugging and we're going right. We're just going to plug in this module to exactly. do this one thing. And then we're, we're separating. <laughs> Totally. Yeah. So I, I was like, I was walking very determinedly to the stop. And then, you know, we get on this shuttle bus. And because it's a bus that's supposed to hold a train amount of people, uh, I'm like super close to this girl's face. And uh, we're to, she keeps talking to me. And uh, she had an Indian background. And I had just been to India. And so, it, you know, this conversation came up. And uh, I started noticing how she being so close to me it wasn't sexual attraction i was just like whoa she's like as i'm talking to her it's impacting my body and mm -hmm. i started noticing you know mm -hmm. speaking of spine and kundalini like i was noticing the sensation going up my spine like a circular like like almost like a um, uh i forget his name but the uh montauk chia talks about like a you know a circular um energy circuit or something i don't know but i was i was noticing oh like what i have to say it's not because i'm thinking about what to say but it's coming from listening to what my body is what's arising in my body 
And I was enjoying it like immensely, actually. And I don't normally enjoy talking to people that I don't know. And, um, and we had, you know, and then we got to the station and we hugged and we said goodbye and it was like clean. It wasn't like we needed to grasp onto this connection or anything. And it was such a teaching moment for me. And I was like, I came to Julie and I was like, holy shit, like I had this experience and it was like really cool. And yeah, da da And she said she's never seen me so open. Like my energy mm-hmm. quality was so open. And it just taught me so much about the social instinct. And so, um, you know, people confuse sexual for one-on-one or intimacy or connection. Or I'm sexual because I like I like to have deep connections, not shallow connections. But <laughs> any connection, any connection is social instinct. Yeah, you just no matter if it's social. one-on-one or a whole group, and everybody has. Go. Sorry. Uh, you just described social. I mean, that experience. I mean, I'm saying what you were already saying. Totally. Yeah. T- totally. And, uh, you know, and so that was like, that was such, like, everybody has a different quality of relating to the social instinct and how they express it. So some people have a preference for one-on-one. Some people may have a preference for groups or feel more comfortable in a crowd. Uh, it really depends on the individual and how their social instinct was constellated as a kid, you know, what experiences informed how their social instinct is expressed. But in this, this exercise that we're talking about, you know, it's sort of playing with what are the boundaries and what are the um, unconscious and habitual associations with groups. So, for example, uh, some people, and it's totally different between their stacking, uh, you know, respond really well to when we're close together in a one-on-one or, uh, you know, a three-person group. And then as we expand slowly, the, the amount of people in the group, either their bandwidth, is, their limit is reached or they're reaching a comfort zone. And so like a guy that's a social instinct in the group came up to me and he was like, as soon as we got over eight people, I wanted to fucking run out of the room. (laughs) Really? He's a social type and he knows Mm -hmm. he's a social type. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so everybody's different. Mm -hmm. What their comfort level is, it has a lot to do with their background and and how their family worked out. But we don't, we need to start looking at the instincts from that kind of level where it's not just, oh, well, one-on-one is this and this and this. It's not that kind of... um, a equals B kind of thing, but like each instinct is a platform for a whole number of things to be aware of. Yeah. I'm just thinking about, uh, I think people's uh, reaction to sexual has shifted a little bit in the past few years. Wouldn't you say? In what way? Well, I felt like, people's reactions maybe three was it four years ago when you guys or we all started posting on facebook in these facebook groups about sexual or at least that i was aware of and people's reactions back then seemed really intense like really intensely against the idea that sexual had anything to do with sexuality and it seems like people don't have that insane reaction anymore but descriptions have shifted a little bit more to oh i like i like um intense excitement and um to be like when i listen to a song that makes me you know like turns me on so it's like it's almost like a shift to something closer but it's not quite like it's not as extreme as the way people were reacting back then so i'm just wondering i i think the institute changed their description 
over the past couple of years, right? They're yeah, they're, they've had a uh, yeah. Russ has been teaching a more accurate view of the instincts, I think. Um, you know, by far than a lot of other um, schools that have basically not changed their idea of the instincts since like the eighties. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I I work with Russ. I'm his assistant for anybody listening or whatever. So I'm very close with him and we have our things we agree on, things we disagree on. And, um, you know, it's an evolving uh, idea and things like this. And so I don't want to pretend like I'm representing Russ's views, nor do I want to say that he would disagree with me or anything like that. But um, I would say that one of the ways that it has shifted has been what was at first just sexual is intimacy social is groups and that's it Mm -hmm. uh and it was just like there was no sexuality in it and then it's been shifting towards um generally i'm speaking in terms of the whole enneagram field there's been a there's been more of a recognition that it's tied to sexuality in some way but it'll be kind of it's like yeah it's based in sexuality but it's like the same way you lose yourself in sex that you lose yourself in a piece of music as you're saying (laughs) and you know sometimes it'll be kind of turned into this very vague creativity or very vague uh really liking something or very excited by something instinct which i also don't think is accurate yeah uh because i mean you can like be so into something from a self-preservation or social point of view and it really um doesn't do it doesn't really honor both the self-awareness that seeing sexual instinct as an attraction drive brings and it doesn't honor the dynamic full quality and life force of self-preservation and social which are like i mean self-preservation is our life force and Mm. so if you're excited by something almost always it's based in self-prez you know in some fashion uh so I don't know. So anyway, yeah, it's, it's changed a lot. So people are not as hostile to the idea that it's based in sexuality, but they'll often, if I say it's about sexual attraction, I get like, well, yeah, but let's begify it or, yeah. or confuse it with the emotional center or, um, or it'll be like, oh, but that's a, like the idea that humans are highly sexual is a male perspective, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think part of that's a generational point of view. I think part of that mm-hmm. is um, like a lot of my view on that comes actually from female anthropologists like Sarah Baffler Hardy uh, or um, uh, Helen, Helen Fisher. And I'm not saying that's, that expresses their views exactly, but that's like based on a lot of the understanding from and Esther Pearl, who's not a, not a biologist, but uh, you know, how human sexuality works is much different than what culture says it is. And so whenever I say talk about sexual based and attraction to uh, younger people and generally people who are not from a conservative background, they're like, Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Male, male <laughs> female. It's like, yeah, everybody's on the prowl. Yeah. Everybody's on Tinder. Everybody's like hooking up every week. What, what are you all out here to get it? You know? Well, yeah. Every, everything is sexual. Everything is social and everything is self praise And like, uh, owning that and recognizing that we're human animals. And I mean, you can't walk around the internet without running into it 
on every fucking page. That's one thing that stands out about our crew group or scene, whatever you want to call it, is that something happens when you have an average age of people that are on the younger side. There are things that we take for granted, which is just like our people around our age take sexuality for granted because it's just part of acceptable culture to talk about. Everyone's hooking up. Everyone's out here throwing up selfies and this and that. So um, it seems like, like you mentioned, like a generational thing, like our parents feel like it's not appropriate to throw that kind of shit in in public, on social media profiles. It's no big deal for somebody to put up a thirst trap trap that's around our age. You don't see anybody around our parents' age doing that. (laughs) So so I think it's part of the reason. Also, the religious thing is another, that's another conversation. Well, there's... You know, so part of uh, what has corrupted us is the internet, and um, you know, it's like there's there the idea of of privacy and compartmentalization is really eroded. Like, so you know, what I get from an, from a kind of older generation, whether it's religious or professional, is like is this idea of presenting a very professional persona to the world. And, and and really like feeling like there's a need to uphold the professionalism versus mm-hmm. the private or personal life. And where I feel like, you know, in the world of Instagram, there's people turn their personal life into their brand and people will be friends with people on Facebook and then swipe on Tinder and see that they're dating or whatever. And, you know, it's like there's less there's not a real way to hide how human beings are in the same way. Cause everything is so proliferated on social media. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, there's a, I mean, like younger people just seem to get how people like, you know, there's a generational differences, just generational differences, but we, we were raised to like, you know, I don't know, like you can probably still find everybody's MySpace with their like, <laughs> 15 year old selfie of their shitty abs or you know like budding cleavage you know like and and it's just permanently on the internet and you can't escape it because you were 15 you know so it's like that the the kind of way that uh certain boundaries are upheld are just different and yet i don't think that they're less respectful necessarily i just feel like they're held differently yeah just the whole phenomenon of Tinder, just that just wouldn't fly in our parents' generation. That the concept itself, you you have an app where you put photos up and you might meet someone who also put photos up that you think it's sexy. <laughs> and that's that's how they that's that's the number one people that's the number one way that people meet nowadays. That sounds insane to anyone 30, I don't know, 40 years older than we are i can tell you years older than we are that's a lot that's (laughs) hey that's very old that's a couple generations as like my grandmother as the old guy in the group i can tell you guys like uh everybody seems just like in the last 10 years i'd say uh the psychological awareness self-awareness is uh 
greatly increased. Um, and it's just, and it's because of the internet, you know, over the last 20 years or so. Uh, and I don't know if you guys notice this. When you, when you say psychological... I'm, and I don't mean that people are actually good at psychological awareness, but it's sort of just out there as a thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? And because it's okay. it's imperfect, it's evolving, it's going to take time, it's still screwed up and tangled up and fucked up. Um, but it's, but there's, because of just everything you were just talking, you guys were just talking about, you just, um, the reality, the pretense, you know, is dropping of what, what it is, you know, just all the false mm. stuff of the older generations. Right. And I mean, for one way that it comes up for me, and I don't know if you guys have this experience, but <clears throat> when I look at a movie, just that's just even 10 years old, uh, it's just, it, it doesn't have enough awareness. You can see that it's a, it's almost a different time and it's just 10 years old. I don't know if you guys have that experience, but there's something that comes mm. through in the zeitgeist of the, or somehow in the vibe of the movie that it doesn't, it's not, I mean, everything's getting faster and faster in terms of um, just how much people are psychologically aware. Again, it's not psycho psychologically aware in the sense of say having expertise in personality types or anything like that right but it's just or personal insight right it's it's um it's partly that there are because of the internet because of the proliferation of information there is much more continual hybridization and people don't so cleanly fall into groups into you know group separations uh categories and so forth um because uh i don't know you just have more freedom now to sort of pick and choose what what's of interest and and you can just do that in the privacy of your own world uh through the internet <laughs>